Hi, and welcome to Women in Leadership podcast brought to you by Seasons Leadership, where we focus on helping leaders grow and succeed while building a powerful, supportive community. My name is Debbie Collard, and I'll be your host for today's session. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host and co-founder of Seasons Leadership, Susan Ireland. Hi, Susan. Hi. If you're new to this podcast, please check out earlier episodes where you can find more information for your own leadership development journey. You can personally reach out to us by rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love to receive your comments and feedback. If there's a special episode that's your favorite, take a screenshot of the episode and tag at Women in Leadership on your Instagram or LinkedIn stories, and we'll be happy to reach out and connect with you. Today, we have a very special guest, Liat Arad, and she serves as Vice President of Marketing at UBQ Materials, an award-winning clean tech company that has set out to create a waste-free world by converting landfill-destined waste into a climate-positive substitute to plastic. There, Liat leads a robust team of marketing associates in sharing the UBQ story with the world. Previously, she co-founded and was CEO of If I say this right, Ramon Design House, a leading sales and consulting agency bridging the gap between ethically produced and socially responsible. Europe, Middle East, and Africa consumer goods brands with North American retailer markets. Originally from Los Angeles, Liat graduated from the University of Texas, Austin in 2009, received her MBA from the IDC Reichman University in Herzliya in 2013, and is currently based in Tel Aviv, Israel, with her husband and daughter. Welcome, Liat. Thank you so much, Debbie and Susan, for having me. That was a mouthful, (laughs) my whole bio. (laughs) It's a mouthful, but it's very impressive. I especially like how you are into the sustainability and taking waste and make it into something that's useful and uh, I want to hear more about that. I'm, I got distracted thinking about what is that all about and where can I get that stuff? And um, But before we get there, tell us about who you are and how you came to your current leadership role. So Debbie kind of did, did a good overview. Um, basically, it was a journey. So I, I studied marketing and business at the University of Texas and kind of went through a very clear trajectory into advertising, was working at uh, some of the biggest um, ad agencies and creating campaigns for Sprite and Samsung and all these brands that we know worldwide. Um, and when I when I lived in Israel, I got this kind of entrepreneurial bug that you hear about all the time in Startup Nation. Started out my company, uh, Ramon Design House, and was bridging the gap between uh, Israeli designers and the U.S. market. I did that for about seven years and learned a lot. Um, Yes, I had an MBA, but I would say that kind of hands-on really building out a company taught me so much and taught me so much of what I didn't know um, from, from kind of a degree perspective. And during that process, it was seven years, it's a long time, something in me kind of shifted. And while I was still being challenged on a regular basis, I suddenly saw that kind of all my grit and my passion and my time was going into something that didn't necessarily reflect one-to-one my values. And I wanted to, I wanted to make a change to where I could funnel all of my energy into something that really made an impact. 
Um, and that's sort of how I uh, started looking into impact and clean tech companies and was extremely uh, lucky when I found UBQ Materials because it really checked all of the boxes uh, that I was looking for and is an incredibly unique company doing something that has truly global um, kind of reach. So, so that's where I'm at now. Well, that's wonderful. It's it's really great to hear you talk about making a move because you realized you weren't entirely aligned with your values. What Susan and I do at Seasons Leadership, we believe that there's this foundational leadership triad of the vision or what you want to achieve, your mission, why you do what you do, and your values, how you go about doing what you do or what you align to. So mission or purpose or your why, if you say it differently, is a key part of that foundation. I'd be interested to hear what um, your why is, your mission, and any key values that you align with. So when I mentioned that I had shifted, uh, it was kind of a slow transition. It's not that there was anything really wrong with the business I had built. It was supporting women, uh, building out their businesses. It was all positive, but I had something inside of me that said, I can do more, I can do better. And that's what really led me to UBQ. Debbie, you asked about my vision and mission. And I think that from the vision perspective, it's quite simple. I really just want to leave the world a better and more sustainable place than when I came. And the why, uh, when I made this shift and when it kind of came into my consciousness, I was not yet a mother. And it really was more about maximizing my impact. Uh, I'm one person. And if I can do my very best, then then that's enough. And again, that has also taken a little bit of a transition since I became a mother. And it's it's more about the legacy that I leave and the example that I'm leading for my daughter and for just in general future generations. I, you're talking about inspiration, and I'm wondering what inspires you most about being a leader in your field of work today? This is a really exciting space to be in. I think that I have a real foundation um, and drive because I feel the impact that I'm making on a day-to-day basis. And just to give you a little bit of background of what UBQ is and why it got me so excited to join this team Essentially, UBQ Materials is a company that has technology that takes all unsorted household waste. So that means like your dirty or my dirty diapers, lots of dirty diapers in our house, uh, together with chicken bones, together with cardboard, mixed plastic, packaging, all the things um, that would have otherwise been dumped in landfill. We take it all together and create a new material from it, convert it into a climate positive thermoplastic that can be used in thousands of different applications to substitute regular plastic. Now, that's kind of a big explanation, but essentially we're taking waste and substituting it for plastic so that the chair I'm sitting on can be made from the waste that's in my kitchen bin. Okay, (laughs) that's a very simplified version of it. And there's so many implications to this beyond what's very easy to grasp, which is just waste not going to landfills. But the next step of a waste going into landfills is very intense emissions. Uh, It basically decomposes into methane gas, which is um, extremely potent and toxic to the environment. 
um, and a big part of what's pushing climate change. So if we're able to get to a world where there is zero waste and we can prevent landfills from happening, we can prevent emissions, we can preserve the finite resources that we have and continue to live a modern day life, right? Because it has to come hand in hand. Then, then that's, I knew that was something that I wanted to be a part of. Um, and as a woman in kind of the manufacturing space, I don't even want to say that it's rare because it's actually very surprising how often um, I get to be on calls and in meetings with a room full of women. And it's definitely not the majority and it's definitely not even equal But every time I see that, I know that we're moving in the right direction. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, What are you most proud of? You know, I want to say in the last year, but it's already end of 2021 and COVID started in 2020. Just the time, uh, the time has flown by. I think that Corona definitely rocked all of us on a personal level as well as professional. And I think that Definitely to date, it's been the biggest challenge um, for me. I also became a mom at the exact same time. My daughter was born March uh, 2020. So there were a lot, a lot of shifts happening at once. And I think that it'll be rare to have that. I believe and hope it'll be rare to have so many incredible struggles thrown at me at the same time. And um While it definitely wasn't graceful, I'm very proud of still getting it all done and juggling all of those uh, responsibilities and changes and making it out through the other side. Absolutely. That's definitely something to be proud of, all those changes happening at once. It was enough for me that I was making it through with the whole corona situation, much less being a new mom. So bravo to you. I'm curious, how do you celebrate successes when you have them? I'll be really honest and say that it's, that's actually not my strength. (laughs) Um, Among everything happening at once and just the pace of work and the pace of motherhood and, and also being a partner to my husband, I would say that I, there's a lot of room for me to get better at taking the pause and celebrating. But when I do, (laughs) when I do make space for that and time for that, it's always really important for me to celebrate as a team. And, you know, almost none of my successes, I can say they are attributed 100% to me. I think success is almost always a a team effort, Um, whether it's my professional team or my personal team. I always, I, I guess I enjoy celebrating with the people that helped me get there. Well, we hear a lot from the women we work with that they are it's not a strength for them to celebrate their own successes and also that they celebrate with their teams because it's usually the team effort. I'm really glad to hear though, Liat, that you actually celebrate with the team instead of just doing the celebration for them. (laughs) So that's good. It's important. It's important to as leaders and as women and as people that we celebrate our successes when they happen. And so that we can look back on that and go, yeah, look what I accomplished. Wasn't that great? And then move on to the next challenge because there's always a next challenge, right? I'm I'm very curious. I know this is an interview on my end, but I'm always curious and eager to learn from other women in different industries, how they do it. Because if this is a place I want to get better, then I want to kind of give you guys the platform as well to say, maybe I can take some tips from you. 
You know, one of the main tips, and I'll let Susan jump in after this too, but one of the main tips that I tend to give my clients and women we work with is it doesn't change your definition or reframe how you think of celebration because oftentimes they're thinking, I don't have time for a big party or to do something you know, grand gesture to celebrate. Well, it doesn't have to be. It can look like anything, a small, I'm addicted to Starbucks tea. It's the weirdest thing. But for me, a celebration could look like I treat myself to one of the teas because as you know, where I live, there's not a lot of stuff close by. So I have to make it an effort to go there, but it's a celebration for me. And so it can look like anything like that. It could look like taking a bubble bath. It could look like spending a half hour meditating, whatever it is for you, it just needs to be meaningful. It doesn't have to be big and over the top. It just has to be meaningful and you can soak in having succeeded at something. And Susan, why don't you chime in as well? Yeah, well, I'm going to echo that it doesn't have to be big because I think sometimes that becomes an excuse. Like we'll do it at the end of a project instead of celebrating all the the successes on the way. And not only is it for yourself, but for your team as well. So what I have found is they'll remember the little celebrations more than the big celebrations. So, you know, you could have, um, I heard about one person, they didn't have any money, but what they did was uh, he bought a stack of paper plates Now, maybe this isn't good in the sustainability world, but the idea was it was cheap. And then when somebody did something really great, he wrote like the paper plate award and uh, made a big deal about presenting the paper plate award. And the team would be putting then up paper plates everywhere when they got that. And it was really something small and something silly, but it was meaningful because it was authentic praise that the person really did something good. There's also what I like to do with my family, and although they sometimes cringe, but I like to have a little dance party. So if something is good happening, you know, or just that we're together, just celebrate with a a few songs and dance, and the kids really like that. So it's it's celebrating the tiny moments and the tiny successes um, really make a big difference. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it makes life worthwhile and fun. I mean, this is, we're here together. A hundred percent. I think it's, I know theoretically, right. And that it's so important to take those breaks. It's just so much easier said than done. And, you know, you have one thing and then you have 50 other things left behind. So, so yeah, I, I think that there's a lot I can take away from that, uh, and start putting into practice and less into theory. Bubble bath sounded especially nice, Debbie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we really have to be disciplined and thoughtful and presence of mind because life can start being a whirlwind and getting us uh, checking off action items and we get so exhausted and we, we might get a lot done, but we, our fulfillment is, is really not as much. So. Yeah, Susan, it sounds like what you're talking about really touches on something that I think so many people are experiencing, and particularly women, which is just burnout, you know, especially with COVID and working from home and 
you know, there's been tons of articles uh, written on it. So I don't know that I'm going to add too much new here, but just the weight of um, invisible tasks that generally fall on women uh, in the home and at work and having that pile up. So it makes it all the more important to take those little breaks and take a breather and reset because at the end of the day, you know, we're only as productive as long as we are being productive. So burnout definitely doesn't uh, support any of us for the long run. Well, shifting gears a little bit, but maybe not so much. We're talking about leadership. Were you prepared to step into your leadership role? It was funny when I first read this question, I immediately uh, mentioned that it you know, it felt so gendered. I immediately said, I know a man would, would answer this and say, of course I was prepared. And, um, and I have to be really honest in, in many ways, I was prepared. I was prepared for a challenge. This was my first time stepping in, um, as a VP role of a team in, in, in a space that was new to me, uh, learning a lot about environment and all of the environmental learning about plastics. I mean, I came from advertising and fashion. And then within a month of taking on this role at UBQ, I was coming to the dinner table and talking to my husband about polypropylene and polyethylene and the bonds and how these things convert. So part of what I was excited about was the challenge and the learning new things. I, I guess, I guess I was, yes, I was prepared for the challenge. Um, and I was excited about the challenge, but I wouldn't say that I, I came in with all of with all of the knowledge and all of the skills that I needed, I knew that coming into it, there would be a learning curve. I think that's probably the best fair way to say it. You know, Leah, often when we step into a new role, and I don't just mean women, I mean any leader stepping into a new role, we're in a figure it out situation, right? We we know certain things and we don't know other things and we have to learn them and that's and that's fine. But I'm curious for you, since you described it that way, you knew you were ready for the challenge, but you knew there were some things you needed to learn. How did you do that? How did you go about learning those things you needed to? Did you have some sort of a roadmap to guide you or what approach did you take? I really didn't. So UBQ is unique in that that it's kind of a startup, but kind of not. It's a startup in that our innovation is extremely new and it's a new technology, but it's been around since um, 2012. Uh, it's not like a software when you're in a material manufacturing. It's not this like quick build a website and you've got a business. Uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes and everything is um, like longer, more real, more tactile. I was very lucky in that I came to UBQ um, under uh, the co-founder and uh, co-CEO, Tato Biggio, and uh, he has a background of finance and he's taken a lot of companies to IPO, but really in his heart and soul, he is a teacher. So I was very lucky in that when I came in, he was eager and willing to teach me things that may not have seemed relevant to my role but gave me such a better understanding of the company, the industry, the technology that allows me to do my role better. So in that way, I think I had a great teacher and a roadmap in a startup in the way that we are is not as clear because every day comes new challenges, new partnerships. Uh, you're, you're doing a little bit of pivoting. You're, you're working with it. And every day is so exciting. It's like a year at a regular company is crammed into one day at a startup. So 
So the roadmap was less, but luckily I have uh, colleagues um, and peers that I'm able to speak to who have either been through similar experiences um, or who are willing to just listen and give advice along the way. So what I hear you saying was be ready for the challenge and work your network, use your network to help you meet the challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And use your network is something that I would say from start to finish. I mean, when I started questioning, okay, I'm my own boss at Ramon Design House. I have all the freedom in the world, but it's not fulfilling me in the way that I want. I want to do something bigger, better, more impactful. From there to getting to UBQ was a full-blown, you know, essentially identity crisis. Okay, but this is my company that I built. If I'm not this, then what am I? A lot of meetings, a lot of conversations. I would say that I probably had roughly 80 meetings with different people, just coffees to say, hey, what are you doing? Um, who do you know? I'm starting to get interested in this space. And and I think there's a lot of fear um, to reach out to your network until you know exactly what you want and you have a very clear ask. And what I encourage other people in my position to do or anyone who's going through a transition is not to wait to reach out and have a conversation because you have no idea how that might shape your next steps. And it had a really big impact on me for sure. That's great advice. It, it also sounds like once you knew where you wanted to go and you made the shift, you also then connected with your CEO as a teacher, but he's a mentor as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, he has been an incredible mentor in management and leadership. Um, I also am very lucky to have other executives um, within the company that are women um, in different life stages, uh, mothers, not mothers, uh, who have been in the industry uh, longer than I have. Um, I would say that this is actually the first company that I have kind of very clear access to mentors within the company, um, which is just extremely, extremely helpful um, and something that I immediately strive to do as a manager within my team as well is to make sure that I'm filling this role of a mentor for both the mentors that I've had and the ones that I wish I had kind of coming into this role. I, I'm going to throw you a, a question we didn't ask uh, you ahead of time. I know a lot of clients who I have a question how do they go about getting a mentor? How did you do it? Um, so as, as I mentioned, I, I would say that I didn't have so many mentors along the way. Um, I think that it comes to down to just like authentic personal connection. And when, when you meet someone that you believe you can learn from or that you're already learning from unintentionally in an unorganized mentor-mentee, relationship just to make that known um, and let them know, hey, I found this conversation really valuable. Thank you. Um, would it be okay with you if I reach out down the line and let you know how I'm progressing and get your get your point of view and your feedback and your advice? And I think when it comes from just an authentic place, it's going to be extremely rare to get a no. And if you get a no, then that's not really the person that you want to be mentoring you anyway. So it kind of weeds things out in a more natural way. Well, you've got a lot going on. You're working. You're a new mom. We're in COVID. Um, what do you think about resilience? 
I want your unique perspective on this. I really connect with resilience on a personal level. I think that um, throughout my life, I would say the first connotation I have with the resilience is kind of strength, rigidity, being hard. And since being a mother, that definition has really changed to something that's innately much softer, much more flexible. Resilience is more about the bounce back than the, the brute force. One of the things I didn't mention yet on this call is that, yes, there was COVID. Yes, I was uh, becoming a mother. But another kind of challenge that was thrown in the loop was actually um, my my pregnancy didn't go quite as planned and I gave birth extremely early. So I actually came into the hospital at 24 weeks pregnant and had had my baby at at 28 weeks and she continued in the hospital for another two months after. She's extremely, you know, this extreme miracle that came into our lives, but it was, none of it was taken for granted. And I think the concept of resilience was something that I was faced with on an hourly basis during that process. It was, you know, having to trust that everything's going to be okay. And the, the, the offsets, you've got to be able to bounce back from them and just keep going. And, you know, I think it's true for motherhood, but it's definitely something that is relevant to business, to relationships across the board, this need to be able to embrace that there's going to be a lot of changes and things that come up by surprise that may be difficult. And I I think that that has really shifted the way that I just the way I am in the world, not just in the business, just not in personal and and has been to my benefit. And I see the way that it impacts my team. I see that the more flexible I am, the more I give people the benefit of the doubt, the more they show up and the, the more room they have to kind of be their own person and show me their, uh, their unique skills. And I think that that's something that I found incredibly helpful throughout my journey. Wow. You, you've overcome some significant challenges um, in all aspects of your life. What leadership challenges would you say that you're facing right now? I would say right now, so I don't know how it is necessarily in, um, in Austin or sorry, in Texas, but in Israel, we were kind of in flux back and forth between, you know, most people are vaccinated. But if you leave the country for, if you travel, you have to come back into quarantine. There's all of these kind of in-between measures. And I think that when we were in the like very brunt of COVID and everything was online, then we were all forced to figure it out and to go into this Zoom bubble and make it work. And we were really, our team was great at it. We did a great job. And now that we're in this flux, I would say my my biggest most current challenge is is figuring out the new normal. You know, are we going back into the office? Are we going back part time? Because there were a lot of benefits to working from home, but there's also the struggle. So I think now it's just about kind of taking temperature, ongoing taking temperature, and understanding what's best for our organization, what's best for my team, how we can optimize our work but not get burnt out. So that's kind of the, the conversation that we're having and uh, the learning that we're, we're doing live right now. 
Yeah, and it's really a balancing act, right? And um, I know our listeners will be interested to hear from you and learn from you with all of the things on your plate, both personally and professionally. How do you achieve whatever your version is of work-life balance? And how do you accomplish your priorities? The ephemeral work-life balance. Exactly. <laughs> I've yet to really, really see someone um, who has got a full grasp on it. But my version or the way that I do it, and I, and again, I have to be very unfiltered here and say, I wouldn't say that I'm the best role model of work-life balance. So room to grow here, but I can at least say what I do and hopefully someone can learn from it either what to replicate or what to avoid is basically I, I've learned to outsource if kind of my, my natural response to things is, okay, yeah, I can do this and I can do this and take on more. And, you know, sure. I can get it all done. I've learned that not only can I not get it all done, but it's also not necessary. So the things that don't speak to the core of the value that I bring, I try to outsource. So that's to say in my personal life, if I know that I want to, the core for me is being able to spend quality time with my daughter where my phone is off and put away, do bath time and bedtime. That is really special to me. Then, then that's what I don't outsource and I can outsource Luckily, I have some support from family. Hey, can you make sure to bring us some dinner tonight? I won't get to it. Things like that are not within my core skills or core value that I bring to the table. So I outsource it. Uh, When it comes to professionally, I would say the same thing. I know where I'm bringing my kind of competitive advantage where my unique skill is really needed. And but there's so many other things that end up on your plate. And luckily, I have a great team who, again, can support me here and I'm able to delegate and I'm learning to delegate better. And and so it's outsourcing. Um, I kind of have a picture that I think of when you said, you know, you're juggling and you have all these balls in the air. Some of those balls are rubber bouncy balls that it's okay to drop. And some of those are, you know, fragile glass balls that you need to make sure to keep (laughs) in the air. So For me, it's about identifying which ones of those are the glass balls to me and which ones are the bouncy balls and then delegating appropriately. I know you said you might not be a role model in this area, but that was a pretty role model answer. I mean, that's one of the best things I've heard and and advice that our listeners could learn from about knowing which ones are bouncy balls and which ones are glass balls and outsourcing the bouncy balls if you need to. <laughs> I'm so glad that that resonated. I, I love that metaphor. It made me stop and think like, what are my glass balls? And, and to make sure that I don't drop those. What types of support do you need to be successful? Well, I mean, we spoke a bit about outsourcing, but I think there's all kinds of support that you need there's the, the people that you just want to listen to you, someone who you can vent to. This is what's going on to kind of just empty your plate. There's the people that you need to actually support, give advice. I need tactical. You've been in this scenario and I haven't. Please help. And, and you can find these people in these different roles, I would say, from different areas in your life. Your work support doesn't necessarily have to come from your work bubble. Personal support can come from your work bubble, you know, like... All of these people within our lives 
yes, they are in categories, but they're full people that can support you in many different ways if you allow them to. I think the biggest thing, and I'm not sure if this answers your question, but I have to say it somewhere, is that it's so important to pay it forward. All of these support that we're talking about, these foundations, these people that are giving us in so many different ways, mentors, people who are opening the doors, those 80 coffee meetings that I took to finally find exactly the fit that I was looking for, it is crucial to pay that forward, whether it's within just the women to women community or at large, particularly the woman community, I have a specific feeling that that's more necessary. But for me, it was really important that as soon as I found this role, that I made it very well known that I have open door, open contact. My network knows that they can share my telephone number freely for anyone who has questions, anyone who is interested in the environmental uh, sustainability space. My, I owe it to everyone who helped me to, to kind of pay that forward. And that's also something that I recommend. Again, not sure that that's one, an answer to this question, but it's, it's something I've got to put out there. Well, it's a mutual support, right? So, yeah, I love that answer to the question. And I, we happen to share, I'll speak for Susan as well, your thought that it's even more necessary in the women community to form that community and really pay it forward and help. There's a lot of place, at least here in, I mean, in Israel, and as I know, also in the U.S., where where these systems are kind of just naturally in place for men, whether it's the army or fraternities or a million and one different networks that they're able to lean on um, kind of so naturally and easily. And for women, I think that it's important to kind of go out of our way and make the, make those spaces, make sure, you know, like as far as I'm concerned, I wear it like a billboard, like whoever needs help, whoever I can help, please make sure to share my number you know, and if I can help, I will. And if I can't, I'll connect you with someone who may be able to. So it, it may not be as natural and systemic as it is for men, but it's something that's worth putting the effort in to, to make natural. Absolutely. I really appreciate the, the perspectives on that. Well, we've come to our final question for you today. So, Liat, if you could be any fictional character, who would it be and why? I love this question. Given it some thought, and uh, as you know, I have this one and a half year old daughter, Stella, and we have been reading a lot of Dr. Seuss. And the character that really popped out to me is the Lorax, right? To speak for the trees, to make sure to remind everyone as we go about our everyday that that the environment and our planet needs someone to stand up for it as well. And it can't just be all about commercialism. It can't just be about greed and money. There's, there's other things at stake. So I would say I would want to be like the Lorax. I love that. Great answer. Great response. And as soon as you said, Dr. Seuss, I said, I know which one she's going to (laughs) say. Well, thank you, Liat, for taking the time to share your personal story and inspirational ideas with us today. There was really some really gems in there, which I'm going to take away myself. 
And a special thank you to all the people who make this podcast happen. We couldn't do it without you. Marianne Metz, the Media and Brand Manager for Women in Leadership. Lauren Penning, our Communication and Marketing Leader for Seasons Leadership. And of course, Eric Wilson, our Producer and Magic Maker for Women in Leadership Podcast. Thank you to you all. Please tune in on Women Wednesdays for upcoming episodes. We will be interviewing more leaders just like Liat. We will see you next time and have a great day.